altars have always symbolized profound change, marking sacred moments of surrender and transformation. Throughout history, they've been where the divine speaks, guides, and blesses. In Jesus, we find the ultimate altar, a beacon for the lost, the hurting, longing for an encounter with God. In the midst of a world filled with chaos and disappointment, pain and death, there is a promise of restoration and transformation. However, it isn't found at the end of our lives, but at the end of ourselves. It is found when we embrace surrender. Well, good morning and welcome to worship here this morning at The Way. And, and I have to start out this way. As I look out, I have to admit, I am relieved. You want to know why I'm relieved? Because I look out and I don't see smudges on foreheads. So for those of you that were here Wednesday to kick off Lent, I can tell you've bathed since Wednesday. Praise be to God. And your neighbors appreciate it. Now, the rest of you, I don't know, but we won't go there, right? But needless to say, we are in the special season of Lent. And I know, I have no doubt that God is not only present, but God wants to speak to all of us. And so I just want to give a shout out to those that invited someone to join with us today. Thank you for doing so. And those that are tuning in or joining in for the first time today, we want you to know that you're always welcome here at The Way, where we seek to introduce people to Jesus. How? By sharing in hope living with purpose for the sake of others. Amen? Amen. So let me cut to the chase this morning. This is a question I want to pose to us, and this is this. How many of us would like to see something changed, something transformed in our lives? I think we all do. Maybe it's a relationship you want to see change. Maybe you want to see less disappointment, less grief in your life, less chaos. Anybody been in the whirlwind lately in your life? Perhaps you want more peace. Maybe you want less worry. Maybe you want more assurance. Maybe you, you need more sense of self-worth. Uh, maybe it's a breaking of an addiction. Whatever it may be, I think all of us would agree we all seek change. We all desire change. We desire to be transformed. But here's the thing. I think we all can admit this too. Change never comes easy, does it? Nor does it come without a cost. And therein lies, I think, the stumbling block or the challenge or the hindrance for many of us today, the holdup, if you will. And, and this is the thing. When we look to God's Word, when we look throughout all of Scripture, what we see is lives of ordinary people like you and I forever changed, altered, if you will, by their encounter with God. In fact, many of those change experiences involve an altar. We've, we've built an altar over here. This is actually rock from our parking lot when it was torn up in order to put the water line into the building next door. And, and uh, it's pretty amazing. And, and it's, a, it's a physical depiction of what we're going to be unpacking over the next several weeks. We're going to go back to altar encounters. We're God's people because God's people since the beginning of time have always used an altar as a symbol of a place where they encountered God, they heard from God, God spoke and blessed them, and at the same time it's a place where they laid something down before God and invited the fire of God to consume it. And they recognized in that moment that they were forever changed. And so that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks, and we're going to do that in connection to Christ. Because Jesus Christ, as if you look to the cross, this was the altar upon which Jesus laid his life down for us all. Praise be to God. Amen? Amen. 
So turn with me today. We're going to go back to one of the very first altar encounters. It's found in Genesis chapter 8. If you have your Bible handy or you have a Bible app handy, I invite you to open it up to chapter 8. And I'm going to begin to read for us beginning in verse 15. And I want to read for us through the end of the chapter. Hear God's word for us this morning. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer as we continue in worship this morning? Almighty God, I thank you for this privilege to open up your word. And God, I pray that we would encounter the living word, your son, Jesus Christ, especially in this season of Lent. Maybe a season some of us don't even understand. Maybe we've never even heard of the word. We've got to pray in our time here in your word and reflecting on this season, we'd come to a deeper understanding of the significance of what this season can offer us as we seek your presence. And God, I know that you're already here. You were here before we showed up. And you're in the homes of those that are streaming at home through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. You have drawn each and every one of us into this moment so that we might hear from you. So Lord, get me out of the way this morning. Speak in and through and even in spite of me. God, may the meditation of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. You know, I think nearly all of us can remember the early days of COVID. Can I get it right? I don't know about you, but it was kind of frightening, right? As we were being sent home to kind of quarantine at home. And if you were like my daughters, not only was it a little bit scary, but it was kind of exhilarating too because it was kind of like a snow day. They got out of school, only days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, months of isolation. We all can remember what that season was like. Maybe even some of us are emotionally there today. And I can't help but think that in many ways, isn't that what Noah experienced on the ark? It was a bit scary and yet a bit exciting to ride on the waves, if you will, there in this boat. Only the days extended into weeks, the weeks into months. And if you look at the whole of it, we may remember only the 40 days of the flood, but it was nearly a whole year that they were cooped up on that ark. 
So imagine with me being confined in your house, you, your family, your outlaws, I mean your in-laws, and animals packed to the gills with no running water for a whole year. And the only guests that came were the unwanted ones of stink, stank, and stunk. Imagine for me, imagine what it would be like to be holed up for an entire year. This is where we find Noah. And I don't know about you, but I would want to bolt at the first opportunity. Can I get an amen to that? So now imagine the day that you're allowed to open your doors and leave your house. What would be the first thing that you would do? I don't know about you, but I'm thinking about riding on that ark for nearly a year and even sitting on top of a mountain as it settled out. My first reaction would have been a little bit perhaps like the the movie Pacifier. Some of y'all probably haven't watched that movie. It's a little bit of a slapstick kid movie. But after being cooped up in a car with Vin Diesel driving like crazy, this is what happened. Let me show you the Land! I mean, I'd come out of that ark and just fall out like, land! Get me on land, right? Get me on solid ground. But not Noah. But not Noah. What is the very first thing that we see Noah doing upon disembarking from a year of being holed up in that ark? We find him building an altar. Verse 20, he's building an altar before God. And and here's, let me give you a working definition for an altar. An altar is a space to encounter God, and it's also a place and space to offer to God something of great worth, of great sacrifice. And this is indeed what we find Noah doing. For you see, Noah, I believe, recognized that God was affording him a new lease on life. And he recognizes that life's going to be different than it was when he entered into the ark. And it meant that he needed to intentionally create space for God and with God as he stepped into a new endeavor, into a new season that was before him. You you see, maybe we need a little bit of context to this. Some of us may recall the story, others may not be familiar with it, but the reality is is that what we see, if you look back a few chapters, is, is God looked upon his creation And he saw how mankind invited sin into the world and it wreaked havoc, not only on creation, but between the created, between you and I, between humanity. And God chose to hit the reset button on his creation. He wanted to wipe it clean, if you will, and start all over. It's like an Etch-A-Sketch, you know, when you shake it and you want to start all over. God wanted to do this and he was going to utilize a flood as his means to cleanse the earth of the sin and the evil that he saw and hit a reset on the good creation. If you go back to Genesis 1, it was good. It was good. God's trying to hit this reset, and he he looks upon Noah, and he finds favor upon Noah. He sees, or God, uh, Noah had found favor in the eyes of Noah, or the Lord, and he had chosen, that is, the Lord had chosen Noah and his family to embark in this journey to resetting this renewal upon the earth. So he instructed Noah to to build an ark. He instructed Noah to take seven of every kind of creature and load them up on the ark. And when the rain came, it was nonstop for 40 days and 40 nights. And as I mentioned earlier, it took nearly a year 
before all was clear. He got the all clear from God and he would be able to come out. And so periodically as he's waiting, as the waters are receding, he would send out a bird. If you all recall this. And the bird would come back because there's nowhere for it to rest. Second time when the birds went out, there was an olive branch, olive leaf in the mouth, suggesting that vegetation had begun to, to come back upon the earth. Third time, that dove never returned. That dove you know, got out of town. Like I said, I mean, yelling land. That bird, first chance it got, went on to life and perhaps thinking life would be like it was before, but not Noah. He knew life was never going to be the same. He recognized that encountering God had changed him and had changed him for the better, and his life was spared. And I think the important thing is to recognize that Noah acknowledged what God had done and had offered for him going forward in life. You see, unlike where God had ordered him to build the ark, unlike where God had ordered him to embark on the ark, unlike where God had told him to come out of the ark, God didn't order him to build an altar. God didn't order him to worship him. Noah chose to worship God. Think about that. He chose chose to worship God, and he did so by creating an altar, a place of an offering before God. You see, there's something about Noah that's revealed in his action here, his choice here. He acknowledged, he not only acknowledged, but he also embraced God's grace. This, this is an expression of God's grace that we see playing out in this story. Something Noah knew he didn't earn, he didn't deserve. Maybe he was even asking, why me? And yet, his life was spared. And what we find is that he made it a priority, and better yet, the very top priority of his life, to make space for God, to clearly create space for God. And it begs a question for all of us today, beginning with me, and I offer to all of you, and that's this, what do our actions reveal about our priorities? More importantly, where does our relationship with God fall among all the other priorities in our life? Where is your relationship with God? You know, when Cain killed Abel, there was a question. Actually, let me back up. It's even further than that. With Adam and Eve in the garden, when they chose to be like God rather than with God, there was a question. And that question was, where are you? Perhaps God's asking you, where are you? Where is my relationship with you? You you see, Lent's an intentional time in the Christian calendar where we're invited to reflect on our lives and assess our priorities. And as difficult as COVID was in enduring, what we have experienced What all of us have been infected with, a pandemic that's beyond all other proportions, is the effect of sin. Sin and the effect of sin on our life and in our relationships. And yet because of Christ, God through his grace has extended us an opportunity to new life. Newfound life, free from sin, forgiven of our sin. And so Lent's this time in which we get the chance to reflect on the reality of of what God has done and and where we are, just where do we sit in our relationship with Him? 
what's our response? What's your response to this amazing grace? Think about it. The amazing grace of what Christ did on the cross for you and for me. And for all of humanity, what is our response? You know, for those of you that chose to came on, come on Ash Wednesday, know full well that we said two things as we put ashes on you. The first was this, that from dust you came to dust you shall return. It's a reminder of our mortality that we woke up, all of you, I got news for you, I know this is gloomy news, we all woke up one day closer to that day than we did yesterday. And the question that was positive on Ash Wednesday is, what are we going to do with the moments between this day and that day when we take our last breath here and now? But there's another word, set of words that's offered to us on Ash Wednesday, and that is repent and believe in the gospel. That's the very first words Jesus gave in Mark's gospel. And it's a reminder that, that not only do we need saving, but God's made a way. In fact, he became as the way, his son. To make a way for us. And, and that's what this season's all about, is, is reevaluating where we are in our relationship. Where do we stand in light of our relationship with God, especially in light of what God's done for you and for me? So, where does our relationship with God fall among our other priorities? That's a question that I want to posit to you today. Now, if you're like me, if you're honest, if you look at your calendar, if you look at your your check registry, if you look at what goes through your mind at night when you really ought to be able to disengage, I think in many ways we've gotten preoccupied with other things. We've gotten preoccupied with the worries of the world. We, we've allowed those to become a distraction to what matters most. And maybe we need an arc moment. Maybe we need 40 days, not 40 days of flood, but 40 days of reflection which is what Lent invites us into, to truly reflect on what matters most. Jesus knew about the distractions that we face, especially worry. Any worriers in the house? Am I the only one? I mean, I, I think there's probably a lot of hands underneath the pew like, yeah, it's just me too, right? <laughs> Jesus, in the face of addressing worry, he wrote this, he said this on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek ye first, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, seek him. Seek after his will. And all of these other things that we allow to become distractions begin to find their proper order in the midst of that. But it's only after we seek him first. If we make him our top priority. So how do we do that? Well, I think we can take notes from what Noah did. He did it by beginning to build an altar, an altar, a place where he created space. And you think about that, that may be space on your calendar. That may be physical space, whether that be a hammock in your backyard, a rocking chair on the front porch, a, a, a recliner inside. Maybe you have a prayer closet that you've created. It's not just the time, but it's also the space, space both chronologically and as far as physically where you can simply be still and hear the still quiet voice of God speak to you over you and into your life it's a place where you can disconnect from the distractions and begin to ask him you know 
I have a clergy accountability group. We call ourselves Pescalogians. This past week, a lot of people were like, what does Pescalogians mean? They looked it up. In fact, Tammy Green, if you're listening, she's like, what is that? Well, Pesca means fish. Logian, you think about theologian, right? It's the study. Matthew 4.19, where Jesus calls his first disciples, he says, come and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, we go once a month and we fish, but we pray and we check in and we hold accountability. Well, this past week, it was too cold to fish. We joined with other clergy leaders in a day away with Grace Valley Ministries, which is an amazing ministry. But in the calendar that day, our day apart, not only with the worship and the conversation around the table, was 90 minutes of guided solitude. Now, when's the last minute, time you took 90 minutes in the middle of your day? I know most of you are like, we can't do that. But you can find 90 minutes somewhere to get away from the distractions. An altar was created Thursday, a space for everyone that gathered to get away and to get with God. Are you willing to build an altar? Are you willing to create a space where you can get away and get with God on your calendar and in a space where the distractions aren't around you? You know, I don't know about you, but I had to leave my phone at the table for those 90 minutes. I don't know about you, but I get texted, I get called. I get notifications from different apps. I had to leave it behind. Sometimes we take our phone right into our prayer closet. Disruption, 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 distraction, distraction. Right? Create an altar. This is what we find Noah doing. Creating a space before God. And secondly, an altar is intended also for a place where we can offer something to God. To surrender something, to yield something, to sacrifice something to God. Something that's getting in the way, if you will, between us and God. Something of great worth. And what's interesting is when you look at Noah, look at what he brought to the altar. Look at verse 20 and 21. What kind of animals did he bring? What kind of birds did he bring? There's a description there. Do you see it? Clean. Now, when he loaded the ark, he brought both the unclean and the clean. Now, he could have taken the leftovers. He could have taken the unclean and placed it on the altar. But instead, he brought the first fruits. He brought the most value, the ones that were safe for him to eat. And it's those that he sacrificed. Suggesting that what he was doing was he wasn't putting his trust in himself, but he was putting his trust in his God that had just delivered him from a flood to also provide for him what he needed the next day to eat. Think about that for a moment. What is it do you offer before the Lord often? Is it first fruits? Or is it your leftovers? You see, Noah shows us something. And for those of us that profess Jesus as Lord of life, we recognize that we owe our very lives to Jesus Christ and we entrust our life to him. We're called to surrender all aspects of our life to him. We don't call upon him just as Savior. You heard me say, gumball Jesus. But we call upon him as Lord. And we know that he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Is he Lord of your life? Or just the parts you're willing to let him have? And you're holding on to something. Because you know that can become an idol. That can become a higher priority. That can become a stumbling block to the blessings and to the joy 
of entrusting our full selves to Jesus. Let, let me give you an example from my own life. And it happens to, to do with giving. And it happens to do with a flood. You see, up till 2008, 2008, well, let me back up, 2004, my wife and I were what you call dinks, dual income, no kids. Now, dual income, no kids is a great place to be financially, let me tell you. Some of y'all know what that's like. We had a child in 05, we had a child in 07, and in 08, something began to change in us. We, we had always been one to joyfully give to the Lord, but we were more of a tipper than a tither. Do you know the difference? You tip at the end of a service. A tithe is something you give up on the front end. And, and, and God got a hold of us. The Holy Spirit got a hold of us and began to, to challenge us and began to convict us, not condemn us. The Holy Spirit never condemns, it convicts. And it began to convict Kristen and I that while we gave of our time on the front end and we gave in many other ways on the front end, what we were holding back to and holding on to was financially you see, we had become made an idol out of financial security. And we began to be convicted of this, and so we began to tithe. That is, give the first 10% of everything that we received in wages and gifts back before the Lord in 2008. Now, here's the interesting thing. In 2007, we moved into the highest, the largest house and the largest mortgage we ever had in our lives. And I say mortgage because we never bought the house. We mortgaged the house. Some of y'all know what that's like. Now, that's 2007. Do you remember where the market was in 07? It was up here. You know what happened in 08? It went down here. And you know what happened in 09? A historic flood hit metro Atlanta. Some of y'all may remember that. I was on a business trip. I was getting on an airplane. I get a frantic call from my wife. She has a newborn and a toddler on her hip, and she's down in the basement crying to me because there's three inches of standing water in her basement throughout the entire house. I said, just throw everything on the bed that you can that's of value. Get it off the floor. I'll, you know, we'll figure it out when we get home. We had no means to be able to redo that basement. And through it all, it didn't change our course of tithing. We continued to tithe through that all. In fact, I lost 25% of my pay in that process. And my wife was at home raising and engineering the kids, as she likes to say. And yet we continued to tithe because God began to reorient our understanding of finances, our perspective. That it was his. It wasn't ours. And, 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 and the worst news in that process, as we're continuing to do this and trust in the Lord, was I started to try to save some money by starting the demolition took the interior walls off only to have a five o'clock shadow on the exterior walls. Some, some words of 18 inches long walls, black mold. They had a gut, the exterior siding of our house. It looked like we were standing on stilts as they stripped all of that out and began to remediate, which by the way, insurance doesn't cover. But by the grace of God, the flood insurance that we received allowed us to renovate that basement. Plan we hadn't planned on. We didn't have the finances to do. And in 2011, because of what God had begun to do by wrestling away this financial security idol of ours, I surrendered and began to make the move to Kentucky for seminary. And guess what? In 2011, where's the market? It's even lower than it was in 2009. 
We sold our house for 15% more than we bought it in 2007. You hear me? All because of that renovation in the basement. God had delivered us from a flood. And God had begun to break away one of the parts of our life where Jesus was Savior and not Lord of our life. And I can tell you today that Chris and I, in that part of our life, there is great freedom and there is great joy. Does it mean that we are financially hunky-dory? No. But there is great joy in our disposition toward our financials, our finances. And the question I want to posit to you in this is, what might the Holy Spirit be prompting you to sacrifice? It may not be finances. It may be something else. In my life right now, it's what I'm allowing my mind to be preoccupied with, the whirlwind. I, I know there's things that God's wanting to, me to lay on the altar in this season of Lent that's very different than it was back then. So the question is, is what might the Holy Spirit be prompting you to sacrifice on the altar? Is an act, in an act of doing so, allow God to alter, get this, alter your outlook, your mindset, and your life? Because you see, it's at altars when you lay something on the altar and you allow the fire of God to consume that, that in process you become altered. Your disposition toward those things changes in light of your disposition toward God that you've laid it before. I promise you. That's what we see in Scripture. And many people can testify to that in their own lives. You see, God's salvation was always going to require a sacrifice. Jesus coming, before Jesus came, what we find is that God had provided different sacrifices, if you will, that the people would bring before God as a temporary way of getting themselves right, if you will, before God. But, you know, we can't get ourselves right before God, right? Jesus had to come. God had to come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. But listen to these different sacrifices. And some of these we're going to experience in some of these successive weeks. There's five offerings. The burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering. Each of these offerings was an act of worship on behalf of the people before God at the altar of God. Where the fire of God would consume and burn up that which they laid before him. It was an act of surrender. Is there something you need to surrender over to God today? Addiction? Worry? Financial control? Is there something you need to surrender to God? Because if it is, you may find that it's hard to do that. But guess what? Jesus came to show us the way. Jesus' life, he came to surrender his life so that we might have life and life abundantly. Praise be to God. He came to lay down his life on the altar so that he might alter our destiny. Y'all hear me? He laid his life on the altar so that he might alter our destiny. To be able to sit behind before a holy, loving, righteous God who created us and desires to not only be in relationship with us, but to dwell within us. You see, that fire, 
upon the altar became the fire of the Holy Spirit that came down on Pentecost. Our lives are the altar. And if we'll allow the Holy Spirit of God to set up in our lives, He'll begin to consume that which is not of God. Think about that for a moment. You see, Jesus was a living sacrifice, and he showed us what a life of surrender is like. In fact, there's a Greek word. Y'all know I'm a word nerd. I'm borrowing Ernie's word there. But paradidomai. Paradidomai. Say that with me. Paradidomai. It's the surrender. The Greek word for surrender, it means to give into the hands of another, to give into one's power or use, to deliver to one something to keep, use, take care of, or manage. What did Jesus do with his very life? He surrendered it on our behalf so that we might have the freedom and the forgiveness that comes through his sacrifice for us. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And from the cross, we hear him cry out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Paradidomai. I surrender. I yield my spirit. The very essence of who Christ is, he yielded to God the Father before he gave his last breath. You know, Noah could only see in part the reality of what God was preparing to do. God kept his promise. He's never flooded and eradicated all of humanity the way he did. He made another way. In fact, he became the way. Jesus. Who in these days of Lent is really the 40 days of where he resolutely turned his mind and his body toward Jerusalem. And we're journeying alongside him during the season of Lent as he goes to lay himself down for you and for me, for all of humanity. So as we journey toward the cross, the ultimate altar, where God himself laid himself down for you, ask this, where's your altar? What space are you going to create to get in connection with your creator during this season. Where's your altar? And secondly, what do you need to lay upon that altar? What do you need to lay down to let go of? To allow God to alter so that you can live a transformed life, so you can live the life that Jesus came to give me, to give you, to give all of humanity. You see, he freely came for us, but we must choose him. And we must choose his ways in order to truly experience the life he desires. He designed. He intended. For you and I to experience. You see, we can live that transformed life. It doesn't come at the end of our life. It comes at the end of ourselves. Are you willing to come to the end of yourself this Lent season? Are we as a church willing to do the same? May it be so. Amen? Would you pray with me? Oh, Almighty God, I thank you. 
I thank you for whenever, whenever your scripture challenges us because I think in the challenge when we're confronted, your spirit is free to convict, not condemn, but convict us individually and collectively as a church. Yet we can get so preoccupied with what's going with moving into Latimer Hall or finances or this project or that project. We can get so preoccupied with what's going on in our own personal lives. We can get so preoccupied and worried that we lose sight that you're here, that you're for us, that you gave your life for us. And you simply want to be with us and to speak words of truth and of life to the very fiber of who we are. God, empower us to create space for you. Convict us of what we need to lay down before you. And help us to yield to allow the spirit, the fire to come down and to consume it and to consume us in a way in which we are altered by your grace, by your love, by your mercy, by your forgiveness, and by your power and for your purpose. God, I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. Amen.